You're listening to Wharton Moneyball on Business Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back to Wharton Moneyball. Two hours of sports analytics live every Wednesday morning, 8 to 10 Eastern. You guys can join the conversation. 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Or email us, businessradio at cirrusxm.com. Great way to reach out if you're listening. One of the times we're replayed, four or five times over the course of the week we're replayed. We'll take your emails, businessradio at cirrusxm.com. Or hit us up on Twitter, at WMoneyBall is the account, is the handle. At WMoneyBall will handle your questions, your suggestions. Good way to reach out anytime. Rolling into the second guest segment of the show, delighted to welcome Chris Collinsworth. You guys know Chris Collinsworth. Played a little football for the Cincinnati Bengals back in the 80s, wide receiver. And for the last 10 years, he's been calling football, most recently for NBC. Sunday Night Football, it's an institution now. And Chris Collinsworth's with us in our living rooms every Sunday night. Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kate. How are you? Doing fine, doing fine. Delighted to have you. Where are you calling in from this morning? From beautiful Longboat Key, Florida. As soon as our last game was over, I headed for the sunshine. It's been about <laughs> 55 degrees ever since. Oh, my gosh. You're not upset to not be calling that Kansas City game uh, this upcoming Sunday when it'll be, you know, five degrees Fahrenheit? <laughs> Pretty brokenhearted about that, yeah. <laughs> yeah last, last time we were in there, it was about 30 and snow. That's uh, That was about the edge for me. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. I, you know, it's... It, this kid Patrick Mahomes has just been such an incredible story, but we'll see. You know, it's always one step at a time, right? One test at a time. Now, can he handle zero degrees? And right, uh, he's a pretty incredible young man. So, you were calling the game this past weekend, is that right? Did you have the Kansas City game or no? Yeah, I did. Yeah. So, uh, what what did that? I mean, you were probably amazed by him earlier in the season at some point did, did that, that game change your do you continue to be impressed do you continue to update your opinion on pat mahomes um yeah a little bit we, we got into a little discussion of just how bright he was with andy reed and and the more i watched that game closely and studied him on the tape you could see that uh his ability to process uh, information um, and not only with his reads, but with what he was doing at the line of scrimmage. And it was uh, one of the things that they worried about when Alex Smith went to Washington and they made the decision to move on to Mahomes is, you know, when they drafted him, just exactly how much could he process? Because Smith was, uh, you know, a veteran guy. He's been around and a really bright guy. And, and, um, and the exciting part, I think, for Andy and the staff was that in the first week that they used him, his week 17 of his rookie year, they let him play against Denver. Uh, and he was able to retain and process and use all the information uh, that was put in front of him. And you can just see from the early games this year that we called with him to where he is now that, you know, he's probably not going to match Tom Brady yet, you know, at age 40, whatever he is. But, I mean, this is a young man that just is taking leaps with his not only physical skills, but uh, with what he's doing mentally. Do, do you think that's a quality that is very accessible when they're coming out of college? You know, picking NFL quarterbacks is one of the great challenges and debates every year. 
And, you know, how are they really supposed to figure out how good a college player will be in the pros? You might think that they could get at that particular quality, you know, to put them through some paces intellectually, to throw things at them. In your experience, is that one of these traits that is accessible or not very accessible? Uh, it is accessible, um, and, of course, they give you the, that test, and, and you get a chance to see where you score on that. Um, but I, I think you mean the Wonderlick? Is that one you're talking about? Yeah. That's what Chris yeah, was talking about. Yeah. yeah. And uh, I can remember taking it. Believe it or not, they took it back when I was coming out as well, and none of us even knew what it was. Yeah. They, like, stuck us all in the room, all these football players, and said, you guys need to take this test. Yeah. So we're sitting there and we're all, you know, just trying to figure out, okay, you have 10 minutes or 12 minutes or whatever it was, and you're, like, just ripping through it, and you're not even paying attention. None of us knew that it was for the NFL. None of us. <laughs> and, and then we went to the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know if you'll remember this game or not, but they had a, this, this four-sided memory game. So it was four different colors. So it would go beep, so you hit that button. Then it go beep, beep, and you hit those two buttons. Then it go beep, 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 and it, and it was like, how long could you – stay on task and yeah. remember, you know, that whole thing. So they do a lot of different uh, things to try and do it. But I, I think That's for amazing. the most part now, they're putting people on the board. So they get up right. and they'll say, all right, here we go. I'm going to draw, you know, this play and this play, and this is the defense. And if you get this coverage, do that. And get that coverage, do that. If not, let's check to the run and blah, 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 blah. And they go, okay, now you draw it, right? And right. they want to see how much of that can be retained Right. Uh, by them, because really, when you go to a new team, no matter where it is, it's like learning a foreign language. Mm-hmm. Uh, you you literally at the line of scrimmage are speaking a foreign language that hopefully others <laughs> can't pick up on too quickly. Right. But I, the the real challenge to the whole thing, and and what makes Tom Brady and then Drew Brees what they are, are their ability to process after the snap. Once the ball uh-huh. is snapped and you're dropping back, generally their eyes are on the two safeties. Uh, because the two safeties will either be a single high coverage, a double high coverage, drop down in some kind of man coverage. They, but that's the that's the, the the main component of the disguise of the defense. Right. So that's probably where they start. And then when they see that safety move, they know without seeing it what the implications are for the rest of the secondary. They they immediately know what to anticipate in every other section of the secondary. Is that the way it goes? Well, they do, but. There's always what did John Madden used to say? Yeah, but um, there's disguises off the disguises. So okay. a lot of times now they'll they'll okay, we're going to drop this down and make you believe that this is a cover zero and that you can throw this pattern. And then they run the middle linebacker back to free safety. So you throw the the post and you look stupid because the guy's right there. Or it used to be the zone blitz did the same thing. Okay, so you would you would blitz uh, off of one side. And then you would drop a defensive lineman. So you're reading the two linebackers. So two linebackers come weak, and you have to throw hot. So then you do that, but the defensive tackle is dropped right underneath the slant. Right. So the game is just never ending, you know. And <laughs> so those who are capable of processing a lot of information uh, post snap are, are really the guys who are always playing in the Super Bowl. It seems like in this case, uh, that's what Tom Brady is so magical doing. So Chris, this is Eric Bradlow. One of the things that I think people have underappreciated this year is the defense of the New England Patriots. We briefly talked about it in our first half hour, but of the four remaining playoff teams, they're the best defensive team by far, using at least stats and advanced stats. Do you think Mahomes' challenge 
What challenges do you think the New England defense... People always talk about Brady. Let's talk about the defense. They were the fourth-best defensive team in the NFL this season. What challenges do you think Mahomes will face with the New England defense? Heavy. A a lot of challenges. And it won't be physical. It won't be, you know, can he outrun the defensive tackle? Or it won't be any of that. It's, It's all going to be mental. Um, but I'll say this, when we did the game earlier this year, uh, Belichick told us that their rookie year, they opened with Kansas City, if I've got my years correct, uh, when, and, and, and uh, Belichick was so impressed with Mahomes in preseason. They did a whole game plan getting ready for Alex Smith but they also did an entire game plan getting ready for Patrick Mahomes because they thought he had outplayed Smith in preseason and that they were likely not telling anybody that he was going to be the starting quarterback. Wow. So at least they've got a little bit of a jump on him uh, from his early days on. Uh, and obviously they were also scouting quarterbacks at that time. So they are, he clearly has their attention. But you will see that the, the, the thing about the Patriots to begin with is you don't know, like the game tape that you're watching, usually teams break down four games prior uh, to that. And the game tape, whatever the Patriots have shown on those four games, typically you won't get for your game. So I can't tell you how many teams have said that basically, you know, we, we don't even bother to study. We, oh we set up game plans to react. So we have to understand if they've been playing a 4-3, they're likely to play a 3-4. If they've been playing zone, they're likely to be playing man-to-man. You know, if they're if they've not been blitzing, they're likely to blitz us, and so that that you have to sort of um, you know prepare in quadrants. Okay, if they do this, we're going to do this. If you do this, we're going to do this. So that's the ultimate challenge here. It Chris, Chris, can I ju- ask you a question about that? The, yeah. It's one thing to conceive of such a thing as a coach. It's an entirely different thing to execute it. What does Belichick? do and what does his staff do differently that allowed them to change schemes like that on the fly and actually implement it successfully they do it from the beginning and the key is having uh, versatile players so the players that they draft uh, and the reason i'm totally and i've had this conversation with bill before i said you don't even care what your record is in september do you and he smiled and said what are you talking about I said, you're so busy cross-training all these players to play all these different positions that you know you're going to lose a couple of games early on. And, of course, he's not you know, saying anything, but he did start talking about all the, the, the cross-training. So the key to the disguise is that you have to have players like um, you know, Patrick Chung, Devin McCourty, Trey Flowers, Kyle Van Noy, you know, I mean, Kyle Van Noy plays inside linebacker. He plays down pass rusher. He plays inside pass rusher. He plays drop coverage guy. You know, he plays all these different positions. So those sort of uh, tweener guys that don't work in a lot of organizations because they want a stud pass rusher, they want a stud inside linebacker, whatever. They work for the Patriots because this cross-training is who they are in their core Mm -hmm. so that by the time they get to january these guys can play literally anything that bill can dream up and that is what makes the patriots not so good in september and really good late 
So, Chris, so Chris DeSeric, brother, just building on that, I just looked at the Patriots' record this season. I saw something that is remarkable. Let's call it rise to the occasion. But both your time as a player and a value, I'd like your opinion. The Patriots went 4-0 and against playoff teams this year, so undefeated. 7-5 and against non—all five of their losses are actually against non-playoff teams. So this builds upon your view of they don't really care what's going on in September and October against—you know, they lost to Jacksonville, Detroit, Tennessee, Miami, and Pittsburgh. Those were their five losses. And so how, how can that happen? How can you be undefeated against playoff teams and all of your losses against non-playoff teams? Is it because they're— building up to something? Is it they're using the regular season to get ready? Is it they don't get motivated? How do you think about that? Yeah, they're, they're experimental. So what they'll do is that they they will be trying all these different things. I mean, you have to you have to remember, it's easy to say the Patriots and Tom Brady, right? And, and to some extent, the offense stays a little bit the same. Defensively, there's always major change over there. There's always these new guys that they're plugging and playing. And so, and Belichick doesn't really know what his team is going to do best until they get into the season. But it doesn't keep him. Now, he probably has some idea from OTAs and the offseason and training camp and all the different things that, that go with it. Uh, but it doesn't keep him from his process. And his process is to run everything. His process is to be able to, to go through his Rolodex, pull out a card, call it, and his guys can do it. Well, if, if a team, if you're playing the Detroit Lions and they're playing their same, you know, well, now the Detroit Lions are playing what the Patriots are doing, but you're playing a team that plays kind of the same look all the time, right? And so halfway through the year, they're really good at that. You know, they've had a lot of reps at that same basic core defense. Where you look at the um, you, you look at the New England Patriots, well, instead of playing eight games by midseason, playing a four-three under with uh, cover two, they probably have played two games of cover two, two games of man, two games of, of blitz look, two games of stunts and, and and loops and different things up front, and so they're not great at any of them yet but they are good and getting better at all of them. So then come the end of the season, he can pull up whichever defense fits up best against the opposing offense. I find this whole conversation extremely interesting, and I'm wondering whether or not there's been an analysis that kind of measures this. I mean, what you're telling us is that Belichick is uses a lot of the season to experiment, and therefore we should be able to see that in the data um, and compare that versus other coaches and other and other teams. Has anyone ever looked at this before, or is, it, is this a research project waiting to happen? Oh, I would imagine uh, somebody at PFF is listening right now and, uh, <laughs> and going after it pretty good. So, exactly. Uh, that. That's going to take us into another conversation with Chris. Let me just reset real quick. This is Chris Collinsworth, of course, longtime football analyst and before that NFL wide receiver. You're listening to Wharton Moneyball. You can join the conversation at 1-844-WHARTON. That's 1-844-942-7866. Or hit us up on Twitter at WMoneyball. Whole crew in here today, Cade Massey, Eric, Adi, and Shane. Talking to Chris. Chris, Adi raises this question, which is exactly on point, right? As you're talking about the different schemes that the Patriots defense is deploying, PFF, Pro Football Focus, is one of the only outfits that has the data on all these different schemes. They know every play, what they were playing, and one could break down their performance. One, well, first, they could just, you could just describe the prevalence, of, and you could describe how varied 
New England is versus how varied other teams are. And then you could look at performance over time. You know, one of the longest standing and best established empirical patterns in economics is learning by doing how much better and how much more efficient organizations get when they do the same thing over and over again. It does strike me that PFF could show that or at least dig into it. Well, I mean, we obviously have it. So I can go online and and find, okay, they've run this much over front, this much under front, this much bare front, this much blitz. They blitz this percentage, this much in the coverage, this much in the thing. But what, what you don't have a great feel for is anticipating the next. So where we get into it is, okay, this team looks like this team, right? So, you know, all right, th- th- so let's compare what um, what this team with this blitz look and, and this, uh, you know, single high safety look um, looks like other people. Yep. So San Diego looks like Seattle because there's a history of coaches that look yep. like Atlanta because they're going to play that that Seattle cover three defense, single high safety. And, but, you know, not everybody has Earl Thomas and Richard Sherman. So it all looks a little bit different. So we do a lot of that uh, on the fly as it is. And and believe me, the NFL coaches fully understand what I'm talking about with, with, uh, with all of this. Um, The issue is that it's a hard television subject. You know, it's it's a hard thing for, I mean, I have to remember, and Al Michaels constantly hits me in the back of the head to remind me that grandma's watching. You know, <laughs> and not everybody wants to get into this level of detail. They want to hear, you know, what, what Player X said about his grandmother. And so we've got to keep <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's and, why I'm listening. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's you try to give a little flavor of it to everybody and what we do. Uh, but it's a broad audience, you know. It's the, been the number one show now for whatever about eight years in a row. So we play to it. We play to that broad audience. But I really, on, I love being on shows like this uh, because I like the details too, you know. And I, and it's the reason that I love PFF because it's become my own laboratory, if you will. So I can literally, uh, because I have a, a lot of math professors working for me, say, well, what about this? And I can dream up something, and usually a couple of keystrokes away is, is the answer. So uh, what started off as something that um, I'm not so sure was a smart business decision to get into in the beginning, <laughs> I was like, oh, I have no idea what I'm doing here. Well, can you tell um, us about that? It's, it's, it is interesting. You know, we got to know those guys before we even knew that you were involved, and we've had them on the show over the years many times, including the founder Neil Hornsby, but you know we interviewed Steve Palazzolo at the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. So we're big yeah. fans of the work, and we and we're keeping a close eye on it because I think you guys really are kind of changing the world of football analytics. What, how did you get involved? What was the what was the germ? What was the original interest there, and and how has that changed from your initial interest to what you're doing now? I had to do a post game show, and I knew I had to do it. There was, and I said. So they're going to pay me, right? And I'm like, okay, whatever, I'll do it. But I had, for the most part, I'm still prepping during the day. So I'm kind of the games are on in the background, but usually I'm, there's one game that are maybe two that I'm keeping up with. So they wanted me to do a post-game show on all these games. And I said, all right, you know, I'll, I'll do the best I can. And so I but I started researching. I said, surely somebody online gives a pretty exhaustive recap of what happened in the, the earlier games. And I came across the pro football focus. 
And so I looked at it and, and they had this color coded system that they used for their grading. And I was like, so then I went back to the two or three games that I had just done. And I really understood not just the players, but what the coaches thought of those players. Mm -hmm. I started looking and I go, wow, this matches up pretty well. I wonder who these guys are. Hmm. So then they had to, you know, an option to pay twenty six ninety nine, and I was like, okay. So I put my credit card in there, twenty six ninety nine, and here I go, and I'm tapping away. And the deeper I got, the better I, it was, and the more I liked it. And I was like, wow, you know, these guys got to be former coaches or whatever. And so in the the little contact us box in the upper corner, I just I couldn't help myself. I typed in, I go, I go, hey, this is Chris Collinsworth. Uh, enjoy your stuff. Who are you guys? Right? <laughs> And I put in my phone number. And so I'm thinking, ah, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm never even sure that contact us box even works. Right. So about two and a half minutes later, my phone <laughs> rang. And it's That's a good guy, business person right there. This guy, Neil Hornsby, with this British accent, <laughs> telling me he runs Pro Football Focus. And all I can think is, Son of a blank! <laughs> I cannot believe this Brit has hustled me out of twenty six ninety nine. I'm so mad, I can't stand it. So I said, I'm going to take care of this in about thirty seconds. So I start asking this guy about guards and inside linebackers and special teams players and blah blah. And after about five minutes, I've shut up because. Wow. He knows more about it than I do. Wow. I mean, his level of detail and memorization of names and knowing what he was talking about was blowing me away. And I was like, who are you? And he started telling me this long story about how he fell in love with the game of football. And he was this guy who used to, to blend companies together. They would hire him to, to take company A and company B and merge them together. And then he would digitize you know whatever he could that he would have to fire half the people in in one company or the other whoever was the weaker link by how he started hating his life so he took on this full time and i'm like what <laughs> and so they had about nine or ten uh teams that that uh they were working for at the time and we started talking about everything we started talking about fantasy football and you know what else we could do for the teams and could they do college football and you know, and all these different subjects. And within a month, I had bought the company. Wow. And, and, um, and then since then, now we work for all 32 NFL teams. We work for about 50 college teams. We work for almost every major network that's out there. And uh, we've got a, 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 a B2C. Consumers can, can play along with us. And mm-hmm. uh, so we've got about a $2 million business with, uh, with the consumers who can buy the products online and, and use our services. So it's, it's been a, uh, it's been a really, really great adventure. I, I love these guys. They're all glass eaters. We get about a thousand applicants a year, people wanting to work with us that wow. we, we narrow down to about, 12 or 15 people that we hire and and uh it's it's quite the process <laughs> the, the tryout to become a member of pff is uh you find some some really great talent uh, with the, the process that we go through chris watching you it seems like you're in this not just as a business person but a little bit as an evangelist for not quite football analytics but a better and deeper understanding of football is that fair to say and to the extent that that is true what have you learned about evangelizing 
analytics and 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 different new different ways of looking at a sport that has kind of a culture of not real openness to new and different things we're interested it's kind of one of the things we're in the in the business of in many different ways is evangelizing better analytics it's a hard sell sometimes what have you learned about that process through your experience with pff um you better be ready to be humbled because things that you've known your whole life are often wrong um and you know and i i think you know there's many 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 examples of that um but i i think probably the running game is probably the the most interesting of those discussions. It was always believed that you had to run the ball mm-hmm. uh, in order to throw the ball. Whereas in reality, the simple math is that, uh, for example, San Diego um, last year was the worst team in the NFL, averaging right about five yards per carry that they allowed per run. Uh, and everybody thinks that that's an absolute disaster. Well, mm-hmm. the average pass play uh, including sacks, including interceptions, including incompletions, and all those sort of things, averages about seven and a half yards per play mm-hmm. on, on any team. So if you do a very simple math, you understand that if I choose to run the football on this play, my odds are you know, not quite what they are if I attempt to pass on this play. Most teams, on if they throw an incomplete pass on first down, what do they do? They run it on second down to make it a more, quote, manageable third down <laughs> right. that they can convert. Right. Whereas the reality of it is you should be passing the ball. If you throw an incompletion on first down, you should be passing the ball on second down and trying to pick up the first down there instead of waiting for third down where one incompletion away, you're off the field. So, Chris, um, let, me jump in, let me jump in real quick. You've got the entire – well, actually, more so this year than ever. You've got the football analytics community behind you on that point. But you have to go have the conversation with the Pete Carrolls and Brian Schottenheimers of the world. So how do you have that conversation with Schottenheimer, who has such a different view? And how, how, do, you, how do you convince someone? That we, we all have these conversations. So what have you learned about how to have that? Pers- how, how do you be effective when you're talking to Pete Carroll and Brian Schottenheimer about effectiveness of pass versus run? Well, I, I, I put it in the form of a question. I like Jeopardy. I say, I say something like, well, Pete, you know, I know you guys are focused on the run and you've turned your season around clearly by, by focusing a little bit more on the run. I said, but how, how do you explain, right? So you put it in the form of a question. How do you explain that the, that, uh, the teams, the four teams that allow the highest yards per carry average uh, are all playoff teams? Mm-hmm. You know, if it really comes down to running the ball and stopping the run, then how are those teams in the playoffs? Mm-hmm. And there was a guy, Jim Johnson, who used to be the defensive coordinator of the Philadelphia Eagles many years ago, uh, and a brilliant guy and way ahead of his time uh, with Andy Reid. And and we had a long discussion about this, and, and he had their team had given up 170 yards rushing or something like that. Um the week before and i was like i go how can you guys win giving up that many yards rushing and he said i don't care how many yards rushing i give up i was Mm -hmm. like what you know because (laughs) i'm still in the old school money ball thought of you know on base percentage doesn't mean anything right right i'm still living in that world and i'm like what and he goes yeah it doesn't make any difference he said you just got to give you can't give up the big plays in the passing game so mm-hmm. we're going to focus in on that and he was a very understated guy mm-hmm. um and he, he 
so much of talking to him reminds me of talking to Andy Reid now. Uh-huh. I mean, Andy Reid won't ever commit to anything. Even when I strike a couple of nerves where he knows I know what I'm talking about, and because, you know, they're a customer, and a lot of their coaches read PFF stats back to me when they're talking about their opponent, and I just smile. I don't say anything, <laughs> you know. Uh-huh. I just do it, but but every once in a while, Andy will give you like a, a not a, quite a wink, but it'll give you a little nod, like you're on it, you got it, mm-hmm. and like this, this this past game, I was I was talking about you know the Indianapolis Colts and their inside linebackers, and because a lot of times they try to jump underneath coverage. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what are you going to do? You know, 53 out there is, you know, and he goes, he just kind of gave me that little wink at about the third play of the game. They hit, they hit Kelsey in the flat. And then the very next play, they suck this linebacker up mm. and then they hit the crossing route in behind him for a mm. big play. Mm. So, mm. I mean, they know it. These coaches aren't stupid. They know it. And And the other thing I'll say is this, you would be surprised and I won't, I won't say who, but a lot of the most old school coaches, we go to the combine every year to, to sell and, you know, meet with the teams and all that kind of stuff with, with PFF. We get more people from Wharton and Harvard and MIT and Stanford in a room that represents some of these teams, some of these old school, they would never let you on to what they are kind of football teams. And they'll bring in a team of seven or eight data analysts. Mm-hmm. Uh, the discussions that happen in that room would you would pay money to listen. <laughs> to. I mean, it is unbelievable to hear these brilliant young people, men and women, uh, talking about the game of football. Chris, the only thing I'd push on that is they may be in the building, but the question is whether they're actually being listened to by the general. Correct. Manager. Oh. You know what you're talking about. <laughs> you absolutely know what you're talking about. So now here's the other issue. We have other teams that send uh, one of the data or a couple of the data analysts in. They usually only have one or two if they have this mentality. And then the defensive line coach or somebody, some old school coach, go in there and just beat our guys up, right? And so I said, we sit there and we, let, we take it. And, you know, we do the whole thing. And then, you know, we, we present our case. You look over at the data analytics guys, and they're kind of rolling their eyes a little bit as this guy continues to tell me how important the run game is to, or whatever, you know, how important the, 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 a nose tackle is to, to football. And I'm like, yeah, okay, all right, ever. And, and so all these things you basically know that, that aren't true. But we also <laughs> walked out of the room going, that team that's been really good for a long time, they're about to go the other way. Yeah, and exactly. Almost every time they do. Yeah. So the teams, the teams, and we can almost, based on our meetings of who we're meeting with and, and what they're mm-hmm. saying, we can almost tell who the up-and-coming teams are going to be Absolutely. and who the teams are they're going to be falling off. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Um, looking ahead to this uh, Sunday, uh, the Can- a big story behind the Kansas City game, I think, is going to be the weather and just sort of how – kind of unprecedentedly cold it's going to be what do what do you get at pro football focus what do you think about when you have a situation that it you don't have a lot of historical data for that you know maybe you're having to base you know predictions off of like you know a handful of games throughout nfl history how how do people kind of in your organization think about those kind of prediction problems 
Well, it, it, you know, we, we try to break down everything, in, including the weather, but obviously there aren't that many of these kinds of games. I happen to have played in one. I, I played in what they call whatever the freezer bowl or whatever they called it in 1981, my rookie year out of the University of Florida, mind you. <laughs> uh, I, I woke up the day of the championship game against the then San Diego Chargers, uh, which I wish I'd never said again because now it's going to be planted in my head again. Um, but the, the, the talk radio back when they had, or my, my alarm clock was a radio alarm clock and it came on. And the first thing I heard was, um, ladies and gentlemen, it is nine below zero outside. The wind <laughs> is blowing 35 miles an hour, which makes for a wind chill of 59 below zero. Oh Whatever you do, don't let your dog outside today. <laughs> and I'm thinking, and this dog ain't going nowhere. I, I'm scared to death to go out there. And it was an unbelievable day. And the one just sort of thing I learned was how significant the ability to throw a spiral was. Mm. Kenny Anderson that day threw these perfect spirals through this win. And Dan Fouts really had trouble just holding on to the ball. And and he sort of threw a bit of a flutter ball anyway. So there's details of it that there aren't enough of these kinds of games to really understand and to say, oh, this is absolutely true, especially when you're talking about, you know, a a second-year quarterback. And remember, the college seasons, for the most part, end in November, so we never even see them play in December weather, much less January weather. Right. So, Chris, final word, just down here to the last minute or so. You talk about as a player, you had this experience, and this was a playoff game. We have trouble as analysts sussing out how performance might vary under pressure. We're in the playoffs now. We're in the conference championships now. You've played in Super Bowls. What would you say about variation and how players respond to those moments? Do you believe in that? Is it true that some players do stand up better under pressure? And is there any chance we'd ever have of being able to identify that and predict it ahead of time? Um, You know, on on a grand scale, of course. You know, we know Tom Brady can handle the pressure of a Super Bowl, right? But, But Tom Brady doesn't decide everything. And, I mean, who would have ever dreamed that Malcolm Butler was going to come up and make that play against Seattle? Uh, and then not play in the next Super Bowls, for that matter. Um, but I mean, it is it is. There's always there's always a surprise, and it and it's the reason we tune in. You know, if we could ever get to the point where we've got it all figured out, a we've moved to Las Vegas, and <laughs> and b we wouldn't watch the games, right? Yeah, so yeah. there's always that human factor, and and I think that you've hit on the real key to it. There are some people that their whole life have overcome and overachieved and given the bright spotlights they've been waiting their whole life to prove somebody wrong that they really are despite the fact they only run four six they're a great athlete and that chip wears really well on their shoulder mm-hmm. and they make these spectacular plays and pressure moments and they want the football and other guys can run four three uh, but you can tell watching them on the field in those moments, they really don't want the football. Mm. They would prefer somebody else have the football. Not everybody wants to take the, the final shot at the buzzer uh, with the season on the line. Mm-hmm. You know, there are just certain Kobe Bryant's and LeBron James and, 
Michael Jordans in the world who who not only want it, who insist on the ball in those situations. Right. And and so that's the magic of it. And, and you know, there is some historical data on who those types of players are, but you always find a new one. You mm-hmm. always find a new couple of guys mm-hmm. in every one of those moments that step up and make these brilliant plays. Uh, and those memories last a lifetime. And so that's really, you know, the very foundation of, of why we love it so much. Mm-hmm. That's great. And it'll be fun to watch this weekend, of course, and the Super Bowl a couple weeks from now. Chris, listen, really appreciate your taking the time to be with us. Enjoy your time off. Enjoy Florida down there in the better weather. All right, guys. Thanks for having me on. You bet. That was Chris Collinsworth, of course, longtime football analyst for NBC before that. Uh, wide receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals, having his own experience in the Super Bowl and apparently the Freezer Bowl before that. This has been three quarters. We've got unabbreviated, but we do have a fourth quarter left. Come back and join us after the break.